there's been like 30 years of programming now in China of like foreigners speaking Chinese. Two, there's never been any real content. It's always been Oh wow, Chinese is so good. Like your Chinese is so good. Like everybody's talking about learning the language. Do you like to eat stinky tofu? Yeah, like yeah, that. like exactly. Stinky tofu. Yes, no. There's even that is content. But <laughs> like, you know, like compared to a lot of the shows it's literally like, "Oh wow, you看这些中文讲的太好." Oh, and then everybody claps. Welcome to Comedy with an Accent podcast. I'm your Taiwanese comedian, Quan Wen. I interview comedians who perform English stand-up comedy but who are not native English speakers or they can have a very distinct British regional accent. This podcast is all about comedy, about accent, about languages, and about the comedy technique. So stay tuned if you're interested. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Comedy with an Accent podcast. Once again, I'm in central London, 21 Soho on a rainy day. I have a quick visiting guest, and I only managed to secure the studio about an hour ago. Mm. Today, I'm gonna explain. It is a special episode because this comedian speaks fluent Mandarin, even mm. though he's from Boston. Yep. So to celebrate the Chinese New Year, there will be a Chinese recording as a separate episode. So anyone who has any remote knowledge of Mandarin want to see how brilliant this guy's Mandarin is, let's check it out. Before now, we'll do an hour in English. I want to welcome Jesse Appel. Yes, you got the name right. <laughs> I could sense the tension. You were like, oh, am I going to blow the name in English? And then I, I don't like, know. Oh. I was thinking Italian, Apelle. 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 <laughs> the name originally apparently was Applebaum, like a Pinguoshu, but from Germany. It has nothing to do with China. I did wonder because yeah. I heard your Mandarin podcast. Yeah, yeah. The Borka. Yeah. And I thought, you keep saying you're Jewish, but this name doesn't particularly. Yeah, well, a lot across. of the American Jews, they got to America and then they changed their name because they didn't want anyone to know they were Jewish. So, and we oh, wonder why. We wonder why. <laughs> The, uh... Jesse, while you're in Europe, you're saying this is your first time in Europe, and yes. you performed at a Mandarin comedy stand-up night last night in London. Yes, yeah, last night in London here, this was the last of my mini Euro tour, so I did a... I will put yeah. Euro in air quotes, yeah. because you're in Britain now. Oh, that's um, true. Oh, yeah, and, this is... And um... there was a vote. Yeah, that's true. This, I, that's a good point. I'm no longer in Europe, am I? No, no, I'm but it's, in... a, it's a funny fact, like, in Taiwan, we mm. would say Taiwan and yeah, then yeah. rest of Asia, mm. but we never say Taiwan and Asia. Um. However, in a UK, British people will say Britain and Europe. They don't say <laughs> continental Europe. They don't oh, say rest of Europe. There's no like Dalu. They don't say like no, you know, no. For Europe. them, Europe is the rest. You ask them, are you part of Europe? People will see that. Are you asking me? Is that a cultural question, Ooh. social question, Ooh. or geological question? So this is my ignorance of just assuming everything here is Europe is coming on. Because it's actually funny having spent so many years in China. It's just all like Ojo. Like they just yeah. call it all Europe. You know, now that I'm here, well, I can't use my euros here. They did have a vote on this. I get, you know, is it Europe? Ugh. Yeah, I never understood why, but they keep calling the rest of Europe, or continental Europe, as yeah. Europe. And this term is used by politicians, by yeah. journalists, yeah. so like general public use it. And I always wonder, but where are you then if you're mm. not part of Europe? Like, yeah. but it is a very. I mean, it could just be an island. It's just like there's Europe and then there's an island off of Europe and an island off of Europe. <laughs> yeah, they would say, we're not Europe. Asia, a lot of it is just like, oh, they're older and those. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's all just like going on Europe. I got I to gotta up my uh, modern education of Europe next time I come here. I need to make sure I get my usual question out. Yes, got it. And this question is tailor-made for you. Yes. So, Jesse, do you think when you speak Mandarin, you still have an accent? I do have an accent, but my accent is weird for people to notice because it's not the foreigner accent. It's like a weird mix of – the way I explain it is this. Beijingers can tell I'm not actually from Beijing, but yeah. they don't know where I'm from. Yes. And the people from outside of Beijing think that I'm probably from the Beijing area, 
but not direct in Beijing. They think you're like a Western orphan left in China? Or? Well, that, oh, well, if they see my face, they get even more confused. I'm talking about like right, if I'm okay. calling like a cab. Oh, what's I, you know, don't you know, they have I, a lot of times the cab drivers. Oh, no, no, no. When I try to get in the car, like, no, no, no. I'm like, like oh, oh, OK, no, come in. Right. They think that it's not me. For any non-Mandarin speaking listener out there. Yeah. Jesse's Mandarin is way better than my English. Mandarin, <laughs> no. Seriously, your Mandarin is so good. Oh. It's like a Mandarin spirit <laughs> has taken over, invaded to that's, the bones. That's funny. Okay, I would give mm. it 98 out of 100. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty good. And there's good. only one person that really has 100. is Dashan. Dashan. Like, Dashan. He's, Dashan's Chinese is better Dashan than mine. Dashan is alien. He's, he's, he's super very good. He's just he's very good. Canadian guy. Oh, my God. I was freaking out when I yeah. watched his YouTube video. And Did you see the video I uploaded on my YouTube a month and a half ago, I did a show with Dashan in Toronto. Yes. Yeah, his Chinese is amazing. And that's the reason I needed to ask that question. Because mm. your Mandarin is not just good, it's exceedingly good. Oh, thank you. You got the vibe of the mm. language, mm. but you got a very specific vibe. You got the Beijing vibe. Mm. And I am a Mandarin yeah, speaker from across the yeah, street. Oh, they, uh, it was funny. So this is what happened when I performed in Taipei, is I noticed a lot of my jokes just like went over very different. Because in the mainland, when I say stuff about China, people are curious about what I think, but they don't believe me. They reserve all the time. They say, oh, we're Chinese. We can say you're wrong. But in Taiwan, I went like, you know, let me tell you what China's like. And the Taiwanese are like, oh, tell us. We have no idea. Yeah, We don't we live don't. there. We don't you really. sound like you're there. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I'm not used to being believed when it comes to talking about China. I'm used to people having this curiosity, but not believing me. Whereas in Taipei, when I do the shows. So like, the comedic tension is different. The comedic right? tension is you're completely playing different. off his attitude and I'm not yeah. buying it. Yeah. Whereas for Taiwanese, you're more like, oh shit, you're buying everything I'm saying, right? Yeah. So I'm going to get yeah. to this question. Anyway. So the fact that your Mandarin is so good, mm. does it not get you any room for maneuver or benefit of doubt from the Chinese audience? I think it helps a lot. I think that there are types of jokes where you don't need that benefit of the doubt. And even like very basic Chinese speakers can pull them off. Okay. Then there's also jokes that are, especially when you get into sensitive topics, it's like anything in language. Like the difference between saying this and saying this yeah. is like it's important because it shows the audience what you think. When you get to the really sensitive stuff, saying exactly what you mean is very important. You can't hide behind this lens of like, oh, I'm a foreigner if you are saying stuff that's very sensitive. So I think that it gives me a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. The problem is it's less about whether – and this, that those areas are where you get into the trouble where maybe it's worse to speak the language well because if you speak the language poorly, you're kind of cute and you can get away with like some <laughs> stuff because you're cute. Oh, yeah, he just insulted the party but it was cute. But like if you know exactly what you're doing and you're really good, then you're potentially a problem because you have the power. If, language is power. If you can communicate with people, if I can get what's in my head into yeah. their head and I've lived outside of the system, that's potentially dangerous. I'm very much a realist and I'm just like, I've accepted that white people are not going to know a lot about Asian culture. <laughs> and it's weird, like I have to deal with that. Now, this is my problem to deal with that white people don't understand Asian culture because that's how I make my living. I do comedy and it's so tied up in the language that I speak and the place that I go. I mean, the people here are listening to speak English. I speak very good English, fantastic English. Almost native speaker. I know, almost native speaker. <laughs> I have the best words uh, to trope. Most of my shows are in Chinese. You know, most of my career has been in China in Chinese. I 
apprenticed to a Chinese comedy master for seven years, learning traditional Chinese comedy, Xiangzheng. My growth has been in the Chinese stand-up sketch scene. I ran a Chinese comedy club. And now I come back here. I need to deal with the fact that the people at the platforms that are now running the industry in the West just have no ability to determine whether I'm good at my job. And I just have to deal with that. I have to find a way to deal with it. Even the Chinese-Americans sometimes can't tell because they can linguistically understand me, but they can't tell based off of the knowledge of what you can and can't say in China, how well was that sketch written? Was it you know daring and interesting in the environment in which we aired it? They don't know that stuff. It's the absence yeah. of the context, of the background knowledge. Yeah, and of course, comedy is all context. You have to know what's going on this week. Like, you might say a joke on this podcast, you know, the Qatar thing. A year later, you listen to this podcast again. Like, oh, no, that was about? deliberate. I want to be uh, vilified, so yeah. it'll go viral. But that's a, <laughs> just joking. But my point is, it's like that joke works now, but like a year from now, they're like, why are they talking about Qatar? What is the, I don't know. That joke will work on this podcast today and if we air it soon, but it's not going to work in 10 years. That was a very, very interesting point you were making. You're saying that you're living off this curiosity. So Mm. this curiosity people have in the Asian culture and you're telling it from the angle of an English speaker and it's such a rare thing. From the English of an English speaker. Because it's it's such a low level of understanding from the general Western public towards the Asian culture. Oh, yeah. So the accumulated potential curiosity level is much, much higher and you're banking on that, basically. Well, I don't know banking. I mean, this is a weird thing. I didn't plan on moving back to America. I was home for a nine-day vacation in 2020 and the pandemic hit while I was in midair going back to Boston. And so the last three years, I've effectively been exiled. I can't get back. Like, all my stuff is still in China. I basically just had to restart my life. You were in exile in your own country. I was in exile in America. And it's funny because, like, (laughs) I think this is funny and horrible, and, like, nobody buys it. I'm, like, legit. I don't know how to live in this country. I've never lived here. I don't fit the systems. I don't, like, you know, it was a credit score. I don't know what the credit score is. Like, I was in Asia. Like, I did everything in cash. I didn't have to deal with this stuff. I didn't have to deal with healthcare. I didn't have the apartment I rented in LA a year ago is the first apartment I've ever rented in America. And all the people I know who are helping me learn how to live in America are all Chinese immigrants because those are the people I know. I don't know anyone else. If I didn't meet you in college... Is this one of your comedy sets? So the, I think this is funny. I can't get people in America to think this is funny. Like It is funny. It is funny here I, because... The fact that the only people that can and only, could help you were Chinese And, and you, you're from Asia. You've lived in the West as an immigrant. You get why this is so funny. The Americans are like, you're not an immigrant. You're an American citizen. Like, this, you have all the privilege. I'm like, maybe, but this is really funny to the Asian people that are in my life. It's like how I basically so rely on the Asian community to help me figure out where to rent and like, you know, if I have Why problems. is it so difficult for them to understand if you're away for a while? It's just so race. It's just imagine race. if you get lost in the mountain, you get frozen in, in because the Americans, fjord. Because Americans don't leave America. They haven't lived abroad. My core audience is even if you meet like an American who lived in Italy for a year, they get what it's like to have lived in another culture. So they get why it's so funny that I live my life that way in America. That's like I go shopping at the Asian supermarket because that's where I know to go. Even my job is with Asian communities. I perform Chinese comedy. I have a radio show on the immigrant radio station. I'm basically a Chinese immigrant I'm going to go into a nerdier question on this specific point. Yes. Does that 
My assumption is your comedy maximize its potential when you know your audience has certain level of cross-cultural, multinational experiences. Yeah. International expat will be the most brilliant audience mm, mm. and sufficient level of either English or Mandarin.、Mm. So, do you always make that assessment somehow, either、mm. before the show or at the start of your set, to see how much further you can go? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I feel. Here's how I feel. I feel like I should be really good at doing that, but I also feel a lot of the choice of what I can and can't say has been already determined by the time I book the show.、In、so, like, because like when I book the show, let's say the shows I was doing in the universities in the Baltics or the same show I do at universities in America, I know the people coming to that show are going to be local Chinese study abroad students,、mm-hmm. American students of Chinese, and like. We'll call academics or like culturally interested people—the type of people who would come to a thing at a university about、mm-hmm. cultural comedy. I have an understanding of that audience, and that show is built for that audience. But I don't do my club set that I do in Beijing. I don't translate my club set into English and then do the club set in English because the language is not really the important thing. It's the life experience of the audience. If the audience has had the life experience of living in Beijing, I could do that. But if I go to the college, I know that very few of those people will have that life experience. They're mostly going to be students, and even the students who are studying abroad, they maybe been in America one year or two years. They haven't like lived in America many many years or something like that. Similarly, when I come here to London to do the Chinese show, I'm like, oh, these are Chinese people living abroad. This Is a great audience for me. I can do everything from my club set in Beijing, and I can also do extra stuff that the Beijing audience wouldn't get because they haven't lived abroad. But this audience will get because they're Chinese living abroad. And even though, again, it's a weird thing to say, but my life is basically as a Chinese person living abroad. That's my network. That's my job. I hang out with everybody on WeChat. That's kind of how I live. And so. I have a lot of confidence with that audience because I've made that analysis before the show starts. But the audiences I struggle the most with are like random American audience or random British audience. I don't know who they are. Certainly, I haven't lived in Britain. I haven't really even lived in America. Like I moved right after university. Who was the president when you moved? I think、Clinton? Obama. Obama was the president.、Oh, no, okay, Clinton. I'm not that old. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I moved to. Asia right after I graduated from university, and so my whole adult life has been in Asia up until I was exiled. So the last three years has been a real roller coaster of trying to figure out where I fit in the world, both as just a person, but also as a comedian. Where is it going? And、uh, that's very、know. interesting because you you do make a conscious decision,、mm. but you know sometimes you won't be able to pre sort of filter upfront. I think I suffer from a. A little bit of an unusual problem for comedians because a lot of comedians, like maybe it's just my insecurity talking, but I feel like a lot of other comedians are able to say, like, I want to talk about this and I'm going to talk about it. But as a American doing comedy in China, I never had that luxury. I have to be very aware of what I can and can't say, both from a political perspective, but leaving the Communist Party aside, just from an audience perspective. Like some topics, Chinese people will be able to understand; some topics, they won't. If I get into a joke in China by talking about like, oh, I was on the subway and I saw something funny, people are gonna think, oh, what does an American think is funny about the Chinese subway? They don't see me as a person 
going to work. Yeah. They see me as an American in the Chinese subway. If I'm gonna set up the joke, your as, observation won't just be a neutral observation. Yeah. This is potentially coming across as a Westerner being snobbish exactly. about well, yeah. a foreign country well, he yeah. lives in. Yeah. So that's the whole thing. Is all of it is like whether it's snobbish or whatever. It's not neutral. It may be good. It may be bad. It, people will be sensitive about various areas. Yeah. Some of those sensitivities are really good for comedy. Others are not. But I always am the other looking at. At a society in which people question whether I have the right to even talk about it. And now back in America, I look white. I'm Jewish, but I look white. And so that's completely gone. If I just say something, people don't assume I'm coming from the perspective of an American who's lived many years abroad and, and having reverse culture shock. They just assume I'm an American. So that's been the biggest challenge is like all the juicy comedy stuff comes from that different perspective. And my brain is still in reverse culture shock mode. I've just been in China so long and I've never really even left in the sense that my career is still very highly involved with Asia and, and doing comedy professionally in Asia, but the audience doesn't see it. The people who see it are the Chinese immigrants and the other third culture people. And also, I'm not used to being able to determine the whole of the direction for the content. I'm never just able to say like, oh, I think this is funny. I'm going to make it work. So it's kind of funny. I've now started looking at the American audience that way. Who are these people? What can they accept? It's a weird way of applying the framework that I learned how to do comedy in a foreign country, but I'm applying it to my own country's people because I don't know them. <laughs> I am now trying to keep track of all the questions that derive from <laughs> yeah. what you're saying because it's so rich. And But the, my first thought mm. is jackpot. I know <laughs> it would be good to get you on today, but I mm. never expected it to be this amazing. Mm. Oh, wow. Let me explain oh. first. I just interviewed a German friend about a month or two ago, mm. and she explained because she has such an almost accent-free English. She mm. speaks like someone from Indiana. Yeah, that when she talks about her Nazi grandfather, mm. she actually have to make sure she spoke. Some real German phrases before. Oh yeah, you gotta warn people because otherwise earn the badge of I'm actually yep. German, so yep. I can talk about this. Oh, I feel that because <laughs> Germans are Caucasian yep. and people can't tell visually. So uh, yeah. if she doesn't cover anything to earn the credential, she's actually German. Yeah. Then her Nazi grandfather joke won't work. <laughs> Does and she perform here in Britain? In Berlin, oh, but in she Berlin. performs predominantly on the English scene. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so that would be even more confusing. And in my case, I've been trying to say to people that it's never neutral. Whether I do a stand-up comedy set, my appearance, my ethnicity, or even my attire, how I come across, yeah. will predetermine how people look at me. Exactly. And I will have to either work with it or reverse it to get to where I want yeah. to. You but, either have to reverse it or you have to work with it, but you can't ignore it. Yeah. And some people are really offended when I say that if you perform comedy here, the default position people expect of you is a straight white male. Anything sure. that deviates from that is a is deviation. Yeah. And you have to explain. Explain. Yeah. And maybe to this day, people don't think a female comedian is that much different. But mm. if you're an ethnic minority comedian, mm -hmm. they will expect you to talk about your ethnicity yeah. on and on and on and on. When I started to speak, the accent then comes out. Mm. So I also have to explain my accent. Now you can mm. prove them that that's exactly <laughs> the same thing that happened to you in China. Yeah. Because you can't just go on talk about oh, no. something that you observe like well, yeah, Seinfeld. I mean, it's also, it's not just the race. We have a concept in the West. You could look, no matter what you look like, and you could speak English, and that's not a weird thing. Just me speaking Chinese is already the weirdest it's thing people have seen. <laughs> Especially if you speak well. There's really not many people that have seen a foreigner that actually speaks fluent Chinese, especially in person, in a live show. It's really overwhelming. That's good for 30 seconds. 
But then you have the problem. You had a couple problems. One, after you do 30 seconds, if the audience thinks your show is about the fact you speak Chinese, you kind of have lost because that's not that interesting anymore. Maybe 30 years ago it was, but now like people are like, okay, you speak Chinese. Now, what are you going to say? If you don't have anything to say, you're doubly screwed because now they thought like, oh, we were so nice to you because you speak, and but you really have nothing. Is You're it only, because there are um, enough TV programs featuring foreigners speaking fluent Mandarin as it's just there's been the, Well, it's a combination of a couple things. One, there's been like 30 years of programming now in China of like foreigners speaking Chinese. Two, there's never been any real content. It's always been... Oh wow, Zhongwen说的这么好. Like your Chinese is so good. Like everybody's talking about learning the language. Do you like to eat stinky tofu? Yeah, like yeah, that. like exactly. Stinky tofu, yes? No? There's even that is content. But <laughs> like, you know, like compared to a lot of the shows, it's literally like, oh wow, Oh, and then everybody claps. I've gone on shows in China where they're like, wow, your Chinese is too good. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. And they're like, no, you don't get it. Your Chinese is too good. It's not cute anymore. It's like, it's not interesting. We invite foreigners on the show to kind of be a little bit dopey. It's basically you know. like the 18th, 19th century World Expo and you just, yeah. you just ship the indigenous people it's, from yeah, other worlds. That's, that's a good parallel as well. The funny thing to me is that you're still doing these chodofu jokes after 25 years of foreigners. There's been absolutely no change in the content of the media. The ironic thing about a lot of those foreigners that do these shows where they go on and act a little bit stupid, I'm like, all these people are really good at Chinese because they have to talk to the director backstage. The teams don't want somebody who's actually stupid and doesn't know their way around China. Backstage, they want to be able to talk to people on WeChat and have them read the characters fast and like respond to messages. It takes a lot of skill to be able to get onto the show. Again, this is what I had to learn. It's like, you can't fight this. You know, people know what they know. It's not their fault if they've never seen anything else. It's more of a fault of the media system and not having any opportunities for foreign performers. But they have never seen like a comedian whose shtick is not I speak Chinese. They're not ready for oh, jokes. So there's another layer of stereotype when they see someone like you. So they see someone like me. They think that I make my career off of the fact I speak Chinese and getting claps from it. And, and they that's think that's it. the whole thing. Yeah. Because every other performer that they've seen in media, they never see real content because there is no real content because there are no foreign writers. It's always Chinese people writing stuff that they think Chinese people will be interested in. And they don't know my life as an American. So they can't really write anything good. All the attempts of the Chinese writers. So this yeah. misleading perception of a one-trick pony. Yeah. And that trick being able to speak Mandarin. Exactly. And that's it. I'm a real tea guy and so he has a business. I have a tea business and I like spent 10 years drinking really good tea in China. I shall include the website link. Yes, it's great. Yeah, this is a weird cross like, promotion. I guess Even though I'm not monetizing my anyhow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're doing this all for the for the glory. The, the glory, glory of the glory of, of the podcast. <laughs> but the, um, it's actually funny because like Europeans like really are into tea, but they drink really bad tea. So it's like you know compared to no, China, no. I like, don't no. think Europeans are that into tea. You no, know, British people like just uh, British, uh, just guess. the British people. I think. But we have customers in like Germany and stuff that are like really into. I guess it's pretty niche. So I'm having the herbal tea, so that way I can not compare it to the tea leaf tea. Really One question, sorry, I'm going to disrupt you here. Yes. The modern American pronunciation. Yes. Do you pronounce the H in herbal or herbal? Oh, we say herbal. Herbal. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is this supposed That's very, like, herbal. It's very British, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Is it? Uh, I don't know. Like, that hard sound, that herbs, that would be very British pronunciation. In English, you never pronounce that H. What about the shampoo? Do you English. say herbal essence? Herbal, herbal, herbal essences. Really? Yeah. Okay. Does that sound weird? It, <laughs> it is. does sound I don't think it was like that in my um, middle school textbook. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. going to rewind. Let's rewind. I don't know if you had a plan for this. <laughs> I, I do, but I'm going to add a special question. Why do you come to Europe this time? Uh, yeah, so I came here to do a tour of uh, comedy shows. I did a combination of Chinese stand-up shows in Paris and London, and then I also do an English-language comedy show about Chinese comedy right. that I performed in the universities in Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. Straight to the front line. Yeah, straight to there, yeah. that was People were like, oh, is it going to be safe? I'm like, uh, you know, yeah, I think so. I think I'll get in and out. Yeah, I'll get in and out. I'm like, I'm only going to be there 11 days, so is it, it going to be fine. Are you, you, you going to be in the Baltic State after this? I already did it. So you I already just, did it. Yeah, I already did it. I was about this. to warn you that you don't have the sizable Russian minority, so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to do some Russian bashing. Just. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, although it's so interesting kind of coming from America where all the tension in society in America yeah. is like racial tension. And in all the Baltic countries, everybody looks white, but everybody knows like who's the Russians, who's the locals, who's yeah. like, you know, people are all kind of keeping track of it in their head, who's speaking what. It was no, no, curious. you guys still do that just mm. to Jewish people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and with this tour, the director of the Chinese program at the University of Tallinn in Estonia is a longtime friend of mine from Beijing. She got me the bookings at Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. And then I said, okay, if I'm already flying to Europe, I'm going to reach out to the Chinese local scenes in London and Paris. And I'm sorry if I look yeah. bemused. Oh, yes. But when you just say mm-hmm. that, since I'm in yeah. Latvia, Lithuania already, oh, yeah. I might as well go to London. And this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. It's like, you know, the, America's huge, man. Like, I live in LA and I fly to New York just to do a show. But this is like, if I'm going to Boston already, I might as well do a show in Dallas. I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. Uh, maybe I'm like crazy, but like, you did no, the hard yeah, work. Absolutely. By coming to London is absolutely lucky to have you, mm. only based on your flawed Yeah. <laughs> That's, I guess, I don't know. I mean, my thing is this, is like, I've, I've tried to keep this mentality, but it's like when I lived in Beijing, yes. everywhere in the West was far away. So America was far away. Europe was far away. It was really hard to make those things happen. You know, I lived there nine years in Asia and there was all this sort of stuff I'd like to see in my own country and then also in Europe. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to Europe already and I live in Los Angeles, which is very far away, why not take an extra flight or train or whatever? Oh, yes, that makes sense. You know, I kept thinking you're flying from Boston. No. So I thought it actually makes more sense you do the Baltic states as one trip and yeah. just save London to Boston. It's actually quite easy to come London to London. London to Boston is not that bad, but I live in L.A., so like, you know, <laughs> I should have done it when I was in Boston. I missed my opportunity to make the easy flights to Europe. You need to develop the mm. um, Chinese stand-up comedy thing in Mexico. That's mm. the one. That's the best. That's the big audience. Though. They're right there. I wish. <laughs> I live in California now and like people are like, oh, you're American, you're home. I'm like, I certainly have never lived in this part of the country. I haven't lived in America really at all since I was an adult. And there are like Asian people there, like Chinese people that have been there six generations. It always gets mixed up a little bit. Again, in America, a lot of people, the things are about race. Oh, but even, um, (laughs) so I met some Taiwanese people in New York this time Mm. and they say even East Coast Asian have Mm. such a different 
reputation compared to West Coast. West Asian. Coast, yeah. And West Coast somehow just are either richer or maybe there's that nouveau riche rich. Mm. Well, there but, are plenty of those. But East Coast Asian are considered more working class, like manual labor mm. sort of thing. I think it depends on where you are. Every class has all sorts of people, every race. Like a lot of people think like Jewish people are all like lawyers and doctors or whatever. There's a lot of poor Jewish people too. There's a lot of working class Jewish people too. Mm. Similarly, in in California, I think the biggest difference is there's so many. I think California is like 20% Asian. Have you watch a show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Cra- no, I haven't. So I, I Rachel, heard Rachel, about this. It's really yeah. good, but it was set in... Um, it's not like a seaside Californian town. The joke is that mm. she moved across the country for love, but yeah. she doesn't live in L.A. She lives in a suburb of L.A. called West Covina. Three I, hours. I know West Covina. West yeah. Covina. Uh, that's funny. That's, that's a good... California. That's, it's Absolutely like, shitty town. It's far enough from L.A. that you can't get there easily, but it's close enough you feel like you're missing out. That's kind of the impression I and got. And that's the joke. That's the premise. Oh, that's that, the so I idea. love the show. But I always wonder... It was a critically mm. acclaimed show, mm. but in terms of viewership number... It's never been like a big commercial hit. Mm. And I wonder whether it's because the show was trying to be so true to the representation of the racial mix-up in Southern California mm. that a lot of the rest of America don't feel... I wonder. This has been the biggest challenge of trying to figure out where exactly I fit in in like Hollywood and like the American system. The American knowledge of Asian culture is not so great. And there's almost no knowledge of the difference between Asian American culture and Asian culture. So there's lots of Asian comedy shows. And I did did some Asian comedy shows in Hollywood where I spent more time in Asia than everyone there. But they're Asian American. They have their own experience. It's a different thing than Asian culture. It's like Asian culture as has mixed in with America. And that's most of what we have in America. I'd be interested fortune to see cookie the show. Fortune cookie Yeah, so like fortune cookie type stuff. It's like in China, I can't do fortune cookie jokes. A joke in the fortune cookie would be explaining how and why it existed somewhere in there. But you can't do jokes about fortune cookies. Whereas here, if I made like a fortune cookie joke about my time in China, the American audience would like, oh, that's funny. But it wouldn't be real. It would just be complete fabrication. But I don't know whether that Asian culture mix is how exactly that's seen by like, as you said, across the country, why it didn't get the views that it should have. I don't know. It's always hard. This is the thing with comedy, man. It's always hard to tell. You have one thing that goes wrong and it can blow the whole joke. Was the whole joke not funny or just that one thing was not funny? Was the whole show problematic or was there one element like there was missing a character? Or as you said, like maybe there was too much focus on this rather than that. It's so hard to tell why but things do But it's not because you're looking at one element of the joke and looking at them in isolation. Mm. But maybe they're more like organism, they interact yeah. with each other. For know, sure. Like the Chinese expression, so mm. you drop one piece of mm. mouth shit and mm. then the whole kanji pot is yeah, yeah. <laughs> corrupted. So I don't think it's absolutely in, in isolation. Mm. The more I know about this, the more admiration I have mm. for Margaret Cho, that how mm. she yeah. was that representation yeah. of East Asian in the 90s. Yeah. Can you imagine it? I mean, that show is a real outlier in terms of Asian Americans specifically. Getting that sort of access at that time was not easy. And mm. I still meet people that like loved that show. The uh, sitcom, that representation at the time, same oh stand-up you know representation at that time. the season of Fresh Off the Boat, I yeah. couldn't watch it. You couldn't watch it. I feel like I should really catch up on these shows because everybody expects no, me to when I, when I watch Ali Wong's special mm. on Netflix and mm. she revealed she was once a writer on Fresh Off the Boat. Mm. And I secretly hope, like, 
I hope you didn't write the latest season. Absolutely crap. <laughs> They're absolutely crap. I think the writer room must be packed with at least fifty percent of Caucasian who have no idea about Asian culture, and then force the whole story direction to cater to that wrong stereotype. Yeah, and it was that's horrible. an interesting question. I mean, like again, we're 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 on a tangent, on a tangent, on a tangent, on a tangent. But the hardest thing I think of doing good intercultural comedy is the writers room because the problem is you can't fake it. Either you have the relevant life experience to come up with real jokes. That people will believe are good, both the audience that doesn't understand the culture and the audience from the culture. Either you have that life experience or you don't, and if you don't, you run the risk of, as as you were saying, like you go down these weird oh, paths. Oh, you are the one of the few that can、mm. relate to this. You know, Constance Wu's Mandarin is crap.、Mm. Is she? Is it? Yes. I've, I've come to think of it, I've never heard her speak Mandarin. So Constance <laughs> Wu's character in Fresh Off the Boat is、oh, yeah. a woman who emigrated to the States after、mm. growing up to an adult age in Taiwan. That the character is written that way. The character is supposed to be that way. Oh, but then her Mandarin、no. doesn't back、and、it up. And also, when she tried to do a Taiwanese or Mandarin accent of English,、yeah. it's not. It's it's just. And also, it doesn't make sense because the grandma was a veteran Asian、mm. actor. For her oh accent, yeah, you're you're asking for too much from the Western audience if you want the accents. No, no, no. But I think they should <laughs> have that level of discipline themselves because、oh. it is not impossible to cost. I see what you're saying. Well, the problem is always it's the same problem is that the 99.9 percent of the audience won't notice, and it takes a lot of time and energy to get it right. So for them to get that knowledge of the accents down and to have the accents match up so that generationally it works, I would appreciate it. But I'm one of the few no, audiences that would actually say, okay, care. Okay, for example, you know? if you're Domestic market in the states wouldn't care about it.、Mm. What if the show has potential to really reach the Asian market? Well, it's always the same thing.、It's、and that's like, why I'm thinking that the show director. I don't think you have to be Asian to be a director、mm. on the show or executive yeah, producer. Yeah. But you need to be someone to at least to be able to tell the difference between those. Well,、things. this is always. And the, if、yeah. you can't, then you should stay away. I believe. I believe in the theory for sure. I think in practice, the problem is it's like any media product. You need to know who your main audience is because it's going to live or die based off of the main audience.、Yeah. And then you get. Whatever you can from the extra places, which sucks because the world isn't fully globalized yet. So there isn't that global audience. Like if that show succeeds in the American market, it survives. If that show succeeds in the Asian market, but not in the American market, it dies. And so, oh, let me give you an example. Let's yeah, say yeah. for whatever reason, I got the chance to pilot and to manage a project、oh, nice. to do a documentary or a series about the Jewish refugee. Oh, interesting. In, and in I would think either、Refugees、I should say、where? no, either I should do lots and lots of research and get people who actually know the Jewish people fleeing. There must be a difference、mm. which original country they are from. For some people, that difference, that care, really, really matters.、Mm. So if I can't get a grip on those details, either I say no to it,、mm. either I need help so that I can make sure、yeah. not to insult those. Well, this、people. is this is as I said, the writers' room, the team is so important. Like either if you have that lack, you want to bring in somebody on the team that fills that lack. Yeah, you know. You and this the other day,、so. someone just DM me on Instagram and say that we would like you to send in an audition tape, sell tape for this. Oh yeah. And they retract like ten minutes later. They say. Sorry, we just realized you're not Korean. So,、oh. but I well, that's an、uh, that's kind of a weird improvement. <laughs> that's actually like okay. Like,、oh. so、I was like, it is a bit shy.、Uh, you guys are a bit rude, but I appreciate. Yeah, I, like as someone who is a minority, I appreciate、sure. you putting you, that. At least you cared about that. Yes, you know? like that's. I like, truly appreciate that. You know, Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. 
and they cast that Korean American actor to play a Vietnamese role,、mm. and they make up the joke about his name is basically like a dick or something, yeah, which yeah. is not true.、Mm. I mean, Tina Fey, I'm waiting for you to own up to it. No Chinese audience member has ever said there's a problem with doing a Chinese accent.、Mm-hmm. In my Chinese shows, if I have a Chinese friend who spoke to me in English, I perform that friend as though they actually said, "Oh, Jesse, you need to go to the、uh, to the bar、uh, and go." And I'll do that in China. There's never been a problem. The accent problem is a Chinese diaspora thing because people, understandably, in America, people were made fun of for having that accent, so、mm-hmm. they're sensitive. But Chinese people control everything about China, including the ability to deport me anytime. So they don't feel threatened because they can、ah. deport me. <laughs> so the Chinese audience has no problem. With this, it's only the Chinese American audience. Is that the end of the podcast? <laughs> no, no, no. I want to ask this last question before、okay. we finish the English bit.、Right. Yes. On your podcast, yeah. In the first episode, when you talked to Zach Friend. Oh, you actually listened to the podcast? Yeah, I did. Oh, I did. you did your research. You mentioned a very interesting point that Chinese people approach you because they want to learn and practice English. Yeah. And they invent an English-speaking persona.、Mm, yes.、Uh, and that's a very common thing. I don't know about China, but in Taiwan, people also come up with an English name,、mm. and they just want to completely. It gets more. Ridiculous.、Yeah. Regular English is not good enough. It has、mm. to be Russian sounding or French sounding. Oh, that's Could good. Could be、uh, like Natasha, Yvonne, or something.、Ooh. But I do think you don't intend to do this, but you definitely have a different、mm. personality between English and Mandarin.、Mm. I listen to you speaking Mandarin so much. Oh yeah. In English, you have more like a baseball fan street、oh, yeah? vibe. You're、yeah. absolutely American bro. Oh yeah.、Uh, in a good way, not、okay, in a negative way. But in Mandarin, you sound like a bit of.、Um, Almost like academic. Interesting. Well, I am both of those things because the the way I got my start in comedy, I was a Fulbright scholar researching Chinese comedy, and so being an academic and a thinker is actually a big part of the way I look at comedy. And again, I make my living doing a lot of shows at universities and stuff like that. If I can get paid to perform at a university, do an hour, have like my own show, my own way, that's better than doing a random open mic at like a comedy club. I'm getting paid. I travel around. It's it's great. I don't think there's any problem with that. It does lead to like having a little bit of a different attitude in the way that the comedy comes across. I also think in China, stand-up is so new; it's very white-collar. So the people who are getting into Chinese comedy are like professional workers in first, second-tier cities that are looking for an intelligent sort of entertainment that they're not getting anywhere else. Because stand-up is language-based; you have to know, you have to be a thinker in order to do stand-up. So I think that that's one of the reasons why in you China, made a conscious decision to、mm. do more intelligent. I think for the in, market or in Mandarin, you mean? Yes. Oh, in Mandarin, I'm just I'm just trying to be who I am in both places. But who I am depends on the context, you know. I think this is the the question of do we have a different personality? I personally don't think we have too much of a different personality. But I think that the environment influences wherever、yeah. we are. Like if I lived in England, I would be a different person than if I live in LA, than if I lived in Boston. If I was a digital nomad that never had any city, you know, I think that environment affects our personality a lot. I don't really feel like I have a different personality in Mandarin, but I do have a different professional sensibility. Think about my life experience as a comedian. Just、yes. forget the language. Who do I hang out with as a comedian? I started by apprenticing to a Xiangsheng master. I hung around with a lot of sixty-year-old, yeah, Ding Guangquan, right, and all of the comedians. I hung out with a lot of sixty-year-old Chinese comedians. Like the Laobeijian, the 感觉就出来了，我都有这个有这感觉了啊！呀 ，like that includes the physicality and like. Like you know, 
Like, those are my influences. But also, I hung out with the underground stand-up scene in China who are just Chinese people, regular Chinese people that have now become performers. So that's the younger crowd. But I have not spent a lot of time with the type of people that you meet here in the British scene or the American scene. So I might not behave like them because I don't hang out with them that much. I've just moved back to the States. I've just started doing stuff. I've gone to some parties in LA. Everybody's hanging out in the pool and smoking weed. And I'm like, this is new for me. This is not what being a comedian is like for me. But in LA, that's what being a comedian is like. If I went to another 50 parties like that, I bet I'd act more like that. <laughs> I think part of it is the language, but I, I keep coming back to the environment and the life experience being the thing that makes that difference. And right now, there is a little bit of a sharp divide. And I'm still learning how to be a comedian in English. As much as it's my native language, being a comedian in my native language, I'm learning that the last couple of years. I'm just starting. And I think I need to be nicer to myself about that because sometimes I beat myself up and I no, say, like, yeah. No, no, you shouldn't. I mean, you know, I want to say it's fascinating, yeah, but yeah. then I thought, but just me in reverse. Like, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't yeah. I shouldn't give you extra, and I should give you credit, oh. but not additional credit just yeah, because yeah. you are a Caucasian sure, trying sure. to learn comedy yeah. in Mandarin. I think doing comedy in a second language is like a fantastic way to discover who you are. And it gets back to the core of comedy. You want to make people laugh. I feel like there's a purity to doing it in another language. You really are just back to like everything else falls away. You can't put too many expectations on yourself, especially in the beginning. Just see if we can make them laugh. Like that feels very healthy to me. And so I always advise people who are trying to learn a second language, try to do some jokes. Mm. Just do the jokes. What's the worst that's going to happen? You'll bomb. Okay, well, you're bombing <laughs> in your second language. No one's going to be like, oh, that person's like a piece of shit for bombing in their second language in comedy. No, people will be happy you just showed up. Well, not the French. Yeah. But no, yeah, that's <laughs> I want to yeah, say maybe if I think like an Asian student sometimes they go for those language tests you're like B1 level A2 level C1 mm. level part of you don't think that there's not an even higher um compliment yeah. people can give you if mm. they love that your jokes oh, deliver yeah, for sure. in a second level. I mean, I've never taken the Chinese equivalent of the TOEFL. I've just never taken a, like a test on oh. how good my, I don't have the A level, B level, whatever. Yeah. So it's funny. People are surprised. Like, oh, you could definitely pass the test. I'm like, I probably could, but... But why do I need to? I'm yeah, I'm like, doing, comedy doing Chinese way. comedy is way harder than taking that test. And if that test doesn't give me a perfect score, the test is wrong. Yeah, like, you know, that's... I may eventually need to take that test, but just for, like, visa purposes. The HSK, Can the you high, not submit high your video culture. performing and no. just like, get it, it turns out the agencies <laughs> have not adjusted to, like, how good your stand-up is as a way of, uh, of learning Chinese. So today the guest is someone who speaks fluent Mandarin, but maybe forced into taking a test just for legal and visa purposes. Oh, that's it's my life. It's a really weird place to end the English recording, but I yeah. think we need to leave enough time yes. for the Mandarin. So I want to thank sure. again for today's guest on the podcast. It's been Jesse Appel. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.